Thank you. It is an uh, unbelievable joy to be uh, back at Grace Chapel again. We feel so at home here. Uh, aunque lo, lo mejor es que ahora yo puedo hablar español también y dar un saludo a los que hablan español. Uh, I couldn't do that in years gone by. That wasn't a normal way for me to greet people, but now I can, uh, I can not only start off with a little bit of uh, welcome and, and uh, thanks for the invitation in English, uh, but also in Spanish. Uh, our, our ministry in Portland is, is a mixture of English and Spanish, and our ministry around the world is a mixture of English and Spanish. Um, something that is absolutely fascinating in our day and age, uh, Jesus is sending his workers from everywhere to everywhere. And so we get the privilege of training not only Americans who are going overseas, but Panamanians who are going overseas. And, Tanzanians who are going overseas, and Cubans who are going overseas, and Jesus is moving his church all over the place. Um, that is a, a true joy for us to, to be a part of that. So uh, thank you again for the, the invitation to be here, John. Thank you for the, the introduction and the, the prayer. I'm going to start uh, today's message at a, at a kind of a strange place. I'm going to start in uh, thinking about some of what John was uh, mentioning in, in his prayer of just the, the chaos that we seem to be living in. Just the, the you know, any, wherever you get your news, whatever the, the feed is or the, I, I, I noticed printed newspapers. I haven't seen one of those for a long time, but Philadelphia still has a printed newspaper. Uh, whatever your source of news, uh, when was the last time you felt like you saw some good news? You know, it just, it, it, it's just not part of our normal activities. There's a war somewhere. There's, 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 if it's not COVID, there's some other disease that we're reading about. It's just one thing after another, it seems like, it seems like. It makes me go back in my mind to Matthew 13, a passage that we're not going to look at today, so uh, uh, you can just uh, kind of put it in the back of your mind to look at later. But Jesus told this fascinating story, this teaching moment, that uh, a parable, where, where he took the idea of a farm and he taught us what was going to be happening over the course of the, the centuries. He said that his kingdom was going to be like a farmer that went out and planted really good seed, and then an enemy came in and planted weeds amongst that. And so some, some translations talk about the, the corn and some talk about the wheat. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. There was a good crop growing, and the enemy came and put weeds in that. Well, the workers came along and said to Jesus, uh, or to, to the landowner, should we go out and cut those weeds out? And Jesus said, no, the, that particular kind of weed looks so much like the plant that we want to grow that if you cut out the weeds, you might actually be cutting out the good stuff. So leave it all grow together, and when it comes harvest time, we'll separate it, okay? And I think in our day and age, we are seeing maybe with more clarity than we've ever seen, the wheat and the tares, the weeds and the, and the good seeds growing together. And today I want us to look at how God is growing that good garden, okay? Uh, and anytime you turn on the news, you can hear how the weeds are going. I don't need to, I don't need to, uh, to teach that because you hear it all over the place. But let's take just a few minutes. We're gonna take a very, very fast trip through all of scripture and uh, literally from Genesis to Revelation. And 
in that, I want us to see a little bit of what Jesus is doing as he's growing his good crop. We're going to start in Genesis 1.28. If you would like to uh, open your Bibles and follow along, that's great. If you want to just listen, that's also fine. If you, you know, are opening your telephone, that is also good. We're, our, our options are very wide anymore. But Genesis 1.28, at the creation... God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this was before the time that sin had entered the world. This was when communion and relationship between God and Adam and Eve was, was completely without, hadn't been uh, destroyed, hadn't been touched yet with, with the, the sin uh, that, that later came in. But in that, in that relationship that they had with God, the idea was there was this little place that God had set aside, the Garden of Eden, but that wasn't where, it was, where human life was supposed to stay. They were to fill the earth. They were to multiply. They were to not only physically multiply, but fill the earth with that glory of God because that's what they were living at that time. Well, we know what happens uh, just a little bit later. We run into uh, sin where mankind decides to be independent and do, their, do our own thing. And uh, thank you very much, God, but we've got this figured out. We, we can do it our way now instead of your way. And we move on to Genesis 9. Actually, you'll find that same phrase, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth in several other passages through Genesis 9, uh, uh, through Genesis but we get into Genesis 9, and there's something else that starts happening. Uh, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, look at this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Uh, the problem is now that this is after sin has entered the earth. And so now it's, it's not quite the same idea. It's not quite as full of the glory of God as it was in Genesis chapter 1. But we've got God blessing Noah and his sons and saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth after the flood. We keep going, Genesis 11. And we've got a, a mankind that has continue, continued to seem to find ways to be independent of God and do our own thing and, and not fulfill the, the spiritual side of that, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, and so we've got, this, we've got this uneasy addition of people, but that addition of people is not heading in a good, healthy kind of a direction. We get to Genesis 11, verses 6 through 9. And we see the Lord said, behold, these are one people. They all have one language. And this is what they began to do. They were going to build the Tower of Babel. And now nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Kind of interesting. We usually think of Babel as a, as a as a judgment, and it was, but it was a blessing at the same time, because human hearts were at that, at that moment so intent on doing what was independent of God, what was going to turn to evil, that God, for our own good, separated us. 
But look at what that separation also did. By separating the languages and dispersing the people, be fruitful and fill the earth and multiply is actually happening. He's, he's actually spreading people out all over the earth. Those things that he had said in Genesis 1, he's now making happen through Genesis 9 and doing it in a way that it is a judgment, but it's a protection for us as well because it's going to keep us from giving full reign to that, that human independence that seems to always want to seek our way and <laughs> give our back, turn our back to, to what God is wanting to say. Excuse me, sometimes my, my language gets confused. Um, so we've got this, this, this situation going on where God is, is showing himself faithful and humanity continues to look for our own independent way forward. We know that a lot of things are going on here. We're going to have Abraham in chapter 12 and, and the fact that faith and righteousness are going to become part of God's plan. We're going to move through quickly the, the, whole, uh, the whole sending of the, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. And now I want us to jump all the way, if you will, to the end of the story, Revelation chapter 7. And look what we're going to end up with. After these things, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10 of uh, Revelation chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and all the tribes and the peoples and the tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What humanity didn't do in being fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and glorify God in the process, God is making happen. If I could bring you some good news, it is happening all over the world. It is happening in ways that we would never imagine what God is doing as he is filling the earth with his people and at the end of it, every tribe, it, a deep exegetical study of the word every proves that the word means every. Okay, this is not a concept that is, is really difficult. God is literally bringing together all that dispersion that happened. He's going to bring it all back together, but in righteousness. Could somebody say amen? This, is, this gets exciting to me because now we're going to get at this place where what God sent us to do and knowing that, you know, we failed and God made it happen anyway. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the, the people extended at the farthest reaches of the earth there will be people from those languages and those tribes and those groups of people giving praise and worship God around the throne. And that gets exciting to me. So what we didn't, we weren't, we didn't faithfully complete, God did faithfully complete. Now, you probably are saying, well, uh, Mark, it seems like you jumped a big section of history, you know, everything from, uh, <laughs> from the Tower of Babel to, uh, to Revelation chapter, chapter 9, act, 7, 5, actually that phrase, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, you'll find it in several passages of, of Scripture. 
But I want us to, to just think for a little bit about one of the strong elements that we find in that intermediate time, okay? One of the things that, that actually happens so that, that as, as we're moving forward with this picture of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people coming to Christ, how does that happen? What's going on that's bringing that about? And for the rest of our sermon uh, today, we're going to be in the New Testament. I want us to look at three different passages, three different uh, passages uh, starting in the book of Acts, chapter one, that are going to be using a phrase, a word, a, a concept that is, is hugely important in what God is doing now as he takes us from Genesis and the, 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 the problems we had in Genesis and moves us towards Revelation chapter seven. As we make that transition from being isolated and, and having Babel be, be a judgment and, and, and having all of our languages confused and not being able to communicate to that time where every tribe and tongue and nation and people still distinct, still with our own idiosyncrasies, still with our own special offerings of, uh, of history and of, of the way God has worked within us, as we move towards that Revelation chapter seven picture, what's going on now? And that's where we're going to, uh, we're going to look uh, just a little bit more. First, first place we're going to look is in Acts chapter one, verse 14. And the place that I want us to look especially is specifically thinking about Christians and specifically thinking about how Christians are a part of that, of that bridge from Genesis to Revelation. What is God doing in the middle of his church now? What is God doing in the middle of us right now that is, is really truly of eternal significance, is part of what he's doing? And I'm gonna start off with a summary statement. We'll come back uh, in just a minute to, to three different passages that kind of show this out. But John 13 says, it is by our love for one another that the world is going to know that we're his disciples. Okay, in a world that is as divided as our world is, if I could just put one thing as really clearly as I can put it, in a world that is as filled with division and with separation as our world is today, it is the love that Christians have for one another that's going to make the world say, wait, you guys have something different. The testimony that we bring is our interactions with each other. It's a, it's a funny thing because the world keeps striving to find unity, you know, the, the United Nations and everything else. I, I don't want to throw a wet blanket over that, you know, it's, it's okay, but it'll never work because that's just human. And without Christ in the picture, we just can't seem to get there. We, we've had lots of attempts, you know, Tower of Babel maybe was one of them. The Tower of Babel was moving us towards unity on a human level without having unity with God at the same time. The unity that we're called to is a unity with one another and with God, and that unity as we share in that unity with one another, that's the testimony in the world around us. So I'm gonna be actually looking at a word uh, in, these, in the three verses that we're going to look at right now that 
has the idea of unity in it. it, it the, the Greek word is homothumadon. Okay, you can, you can enjoy that word, homothumadon. It, it's just it's a great word to throw out in the middle of a party or something like that. Uh, homothumadon means of one mind, of one accord. And uh, the fascinating thing is that homothumadon, that word, uh, is used in the Greek New Testament five times in Acts 1 through 4. Okay, this became the hallmark of those early Christians. So one of the things that we, as we think about John 13, for instance, being unified in Christ and that being our testimony to the world outside of us, that unity that we have is something that we're gonna be looking at through this idea of homothumadon, of this, this word that we're looking at. So first off, Acts chapter one, verse 14. Let me start in, in verse uh, 12, just so we all have the, the context. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered, they went up to, an, uh, to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. And these all with one mind, that's our word, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. All of these with one mind. Okay, so the very first description uh, after, after all of the trauma that they'd been through on an earthly level of, uh, of, of watching the, the, the Lord's death and, and burial and then seeing his resurrection, they all came back with one mind of one accord uh, into this, into this uh, upper room and they started talking and praying and, and we know that a number of things start happening here. But that picture of being of one accord. Now, one of the things that strikes me about this passage is that these were people who already had a lot of experience with each other, right? For, for a number of years, they came from a, a variety of different backgrounds, all kinds of different uh, past, uh, past histories for them. But as these, uh, as these people are all joining together, they, they take that shared history that they've got, they've got, they bring their shared, uh, the, the backgrounds that are very diverse, and they bring that all together and are able to join together of one mind, unified, that, that homothumadon, that love that they have for one another as the testimony of what God is doing in their midst. So one of the places where I rejoice when I see Christians in unity happens right within the, the very congregations, right within the very groups of people that already know one another. Uh, I've been uh, working in missions now for 30 some years, one way or another. Um, I, I really don't think it's going to be a surprise for me to tell you that, uh, that not all missionaries and not all churches always have that sense of unity, okay? Uh, I don't know how many times I was in a group of missionaries that each kind of had their own way of doing things and each wanted to you know, go, go their way and this one wanted to go their way. And, and it wasn't necessarily what they were doing, it was can we find that sense of unity of purpose and of worship and can we, can we find that sense of joined prayer, which is exactly the, the place where Acts 1 shows us, 
Uh, even if we've got differences of our past and differences of how we're going to serve and maybe different gifts of how we're going to serve the Lord, uh, maybe some of us as musicians and others as teachers and others of us as, as working with children. And each of those is going to have its own set of needs and its own set of, of work that needs to be done. But in all of that diversity, there's unity. There can be unity. And that's what this word is pointing us to. Even with people who've known each other for years, we don't take for granted the fact that Jesus is the one who gives us that sense of homothumadon, that sense of a, of a shared understanding, a shared, um, a shared unity in what he is, is doing in our midst. Well, that, that word uh, that we see in Acts chapter 1 shows up again in Acts chapter 2. And so if you would uh, join me uh, at uh, taking a look now, Acts chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Well, actually, let me do this. Let me... Um, Let me flip back to the end of Acts chapter 2 and read verses uh, 43, 43 through 47 first. Uh, everyone had a feeling of awe. There were wonders and signs being uh, taking place through the apostles. And those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day to day, continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, they were continuing with one mind. There's our word again. That unity that we saw within a group of people that knew each other really well in Acts chapter 1, by Acts chapter 2, it's a much broader group. And now is where I'd like us to, to just step back and look at verses 8 through 11 of, of chapter 2. Just look at the number of nations and languages that are represented here. How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Philippia, Egypt, the list kind of keeps going on and on. So we started off with Homo Thumadon around a group of people that already knew each other. And now look what happens in the next chapter. We've got a group of people from all over the world with all kinds of different languages. And God gives that same sense of unity, that same sense of a shared understanding of, of our relationship with each other because of what God is doing in our midst. Because we have this shared relationship with Jesus Christ, it allows us to be of one mind with one another. Once again, that is not something that we're going to read about in the United Nations. It's something that God is doing. You might actually notice it on your calendar today. Uh, if you have any kind of uh, liturgical, I see a couple of heads moving. Uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. 
And uh, that's not why I chose this passage, but it is certainly an appropriate one, isn't it? Uh, this, is the, this is the day of Pentecost. This is the day when God said, I'm gonna reverse Babel. Actually, I'm not gonna reverse it by avoiding all those languages. Now I'm going to take all those languages and I'm going to turn every single one of them into a vehicle for worship for my God. So he doesn't reverse Babel just by saying, oh, forget it, we're all gonna go back to speaking the same language. He says, no, now every one of those languages, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people, is going to come together in worship around the throne. And that day of Pentecost and that day when Homo Thumadon came into a group that was so diverse that there was no sensible reason to think that they were going to share one another, uh, share in, in, in everything that they needed and sell their properties and possessions and serve one another and in one mind worship God and break bread and share meals. And where would that have come from? It wasn't a human thing, it was a God thing. And God was at work creating that sense of unity. So, you know, going back to the wheat and the tares, uh, we are living in a day where we can see the tares growing. The good news is the wheat is growing, okay? The, the church that Jesus Christ bought with his own blood is growing like it has never grown before around the world, it is growing more rapidly than we can imagine. Don't hold me to these statistics, okay? I've done a little bit of checking with them, but I, I heard them a little bit ago. The trend is certainly appropriate. The trend is ex ex exactly right. There's somewhere in the ballpark of about 75,000 people a day coming to Christ. Now, probably 5,000 of those are in Western Europe and North America. Guess where the rest are? The, the Africa, church is growing so quickly that, uh, that it is hard to keep track of how many churches there are. The Asian church and the Latin American church are just expanding. And God is building his church. He promised he was going to do it, and he is doing it in front of our very eyes. And as that church expands and grows and fills the earth, he is at work not only bringing his, nation, his message to every tribe and tongue and nation and people, he is at work also giving us those bridges where we can actually form those, those bonds of unity that go so far beyond anything that the world can do. With that, I'd like us to go to the last passage we're going to look at today, and that's in Romans chapter 15. Because this passage also is going to use our word. Romans chapter 15, and I'm just going to read verses uh, 5 through 7. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Our word shows up, once again, that we may be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, and that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So as God is going about this process of sending his gospel from that day of Pentecost forward, as, as we see the church expanding and growing and moving into new areas, as we see that growth happening, what we're also asking God to do is, would you continue, God, to give us that encouragement and perseverance so that with one mind and with one accord, we may with one voice glorify the God of our Father, our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me camp out here for just a minute. Why is it so important that we experience this homothumadon, that we have that unity amongst us? across the cultures, across the races, across the languages, across the national borders. Why is it so important that Jesus' church would be noticed as the ones that, that somehow are able to bridge all of that? Well, most of it shows up right here. <laughs> that we, we, that is important that with one voice we might glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to his glory. When his children are unified around praising him, around that, that same picture that we get from, from Revelation uh, chapter, chapter 7, that, that mass of humanity that can't even be counted, that's all from every tribe and tongue and nation and people, God is glorified in that. So why should we think about, about crossing cultural bridges and, and finding ways to interact with, with different cultures and languages in our own neighborhood for the glory of God. That's the reason. It, it may be that just it just seems like something we'd like to do. It, it might be interesting. Sometimes it's fun. A lot of times there's a lot of tears involved. But whatever the reason, there's a deeper one. And that deeper one is what we see right here in verse 6 that we might, uh, with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is to his glory that his children would be unified, would be of one mind to one another. And so the, the good news is this. The, this is a prayer in, in uh, Romans 15 with, uh, now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind. And that's my prayer for Grace Chapel. That's my prayer for my church back in Portland. That's my prayer for the church around the world, that God would grant us that we might be of one mind because that is to the glory of our Father. And what he asks of us in the process, therefore, accept one another. Just accept. Just value the fact that we're going to come from different backgrounds, recognize the fact that we're going to have different histories, recognize the fact that our languages are different, and we learn to accept those differences. The world can't figure that out. Jesus can figure that out. Jesus is doing it. And my prayer today is that a, a little bit of what we've been able to do this weekend, thinking about learning cultures and thinking about bridging across cultures, thinking about relationships within different cultures, my prayer is that all of that is going to lead us and guide us and help us to glorify God, showing that we are his disciples by our love for one another, even if we come, or maybe especially when we come from different backgrounds, because one day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people is going to give him the glory that he deserves.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we thank you for this word, uh, homothumadon, for this desire that you have expressed that your people would walk in communion, not only with you, but also with one another. Lord, thank you for the promise in Romans 15 that you are going to do that, that we can, we can pray to you and ask you to uh, encourage us and to give us perseverance in the process. But in that encouragement and perseverance, Lord, would you be glorified as your people learn step by step, moment by moment, how to interact, how to be of one mind, how to be of one heart, how to be of one passion, and that passion would be to bring you the glory you deserve. So we thank you for this time together in your word today through Jesus our Savior. Amen.